Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Uh, So I'm going to be reading Psalm 139 and it's on page 632 of the Bibles in your pews. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. For only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies." Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Thank you so much, Ruth. Well, do uh, keep your Bibles open or your devices open because I'm going to be looking at Psalm 139. Well, I wonder how you got on in your little discussion. Uh, I hope you had an interesting one. If you spoke about something completely different, that's absolutely fine too. If uh, you, you played the game very nicely, but actually at some level in your heart, it's not a, you knew that it's not an easy question to answer. Who am I? Perhaps it's something that you're working through and struggling with right now. Um, I think it's worth recognizing that although it's one of the simplest and most straightforward questions that we get asked, who are you? it can also be one of the most difficult. So what is it that we're asking? What is our identity? Is it an actual thing? It's not very easy 
to work out. That's because for most of us, when we think about identity, we come at it from at least three angles. Number one, we see our identity as an experience. I am who I feel I am. Then we also see it as a social construct, which is a bit of a posh way of basically saying, I am what other people say I am. I am what other people see me as. And then almost every, everyone also sees their identity as something objective, something inherent. In other words, this is the best way of explaining it, even if I don't have any friends or any community, and let's say I accidentally end up flying to Mars, and everyone forgets me, and then I also fall asleep, so I'm not doing any thinking at that moment, I still believe that I have an identity. Do you get me? When no one's thinking of me and I'm not thinking of me, most of us still think that I am something. And therefore, most of us think that identity is something concrete outside of us and outside of what anyone thinks. Now, you don't need to be a philosopher to realize that those three angles put together present us with some problems. Right? If I am who I feel I am, well, what if I don't know what I feel? Or what if I'm absolutely crippled by self-loathing? If I am what others say I am, what if what everyone else says about me doesn't at all tie in with what I feel? And if my identity is something objective, something inherent, something outside of all of that, where is it? Where is this identity thing? How do I access it? How do I find out what it is? Is it, is it a spiritual thing? Is it a physical thing? Can it actually be known at all? Can anyone tell me what it is? Could it change? And finally, just before we get to start to address some of those questions, let's just think about a couple of other reasons why all this stuff starts getting really difficult for us in our culture. Three interconnected reasons. Individualism, freedom, and consumerism. Right? Individualism, first of all. The modern world is perhaps the most individualistic cultural setting humanity has ever seen. Okay, in general, cultures kind of balance between individualism and collectivism. So where individualistic cultures, they prioritize the rights of the individual. Collectivistic cultures, they kind of, they, they, balance, they, they, they prioritize the stability and the unity of, of everyone, the group together. We are super individualistic. We're really good at valuing each person, but that also puts massive pressure on everyone. Who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? Because it's got to be different from everyone else. Individualism. That's closely connected to our unprecedented personal freedom. So we have extraordinary freedom to do things that shape our identity, like no one has done before. In most cultures across most of time, your path in life, your role, your relationships, they were pretty much decided before you were born. Now, that certainly didn't always go well for you. I'm not suggesting we want to be back there. But on the flip side, you were, you were unlikely to agonize a great deal about what to become because you didn't really have any choice about it. But now, with our education, with our financial wealth, with the advances in technology, we have hugely expanded opportunities we can dress like we like, we can look like we like, we can work in whatever we like, all in distinctive ways. There is so much potential. We can explore our gifts in so many wonderful ways and our desires. 
But there are also thousands and thousands of new ways of making a complete mess in our life. And sadly, there isn't even an agreed list of what those ways are. And whilst it's easier to become what you want to be, it's also a whole load easier to end up feeling like you don't even know what you've become. And finally, added to that freedom, there is consumerism. It's not just that we can, we can go where we want, we can say what we want, we can be who we want to be. Market capitalism wants us to do that more and more. Okay, and this is how it works. Market capitalism survives by getting us to spend our money. And in a world where our basic needs, like food, water, and so forth, are mostly met, uh, advertisers uh, need to persuade us to buy other stuff for other reasons. And uh, they have given us new ways of developing and expressing our own identity because that turns out to be a really good way of convincing people to part with their money. Branding was really powerful. So this is not a dig at anyone. We just have to understand this. There are hundreds of thousands of people out there in our society. They're very gifted. And they are working really hard to convince you and me that a particular piece of clothing or a gadget or a car or that experience, or whatever it is, is going to help develop us and kind of really actualize our identity. You will really be you when you buy that house. You will really be you if you add that hobby to your leisure time. You will, be, you will really express yourself properly in a new way if you wear that outfit. And that's okay, but guess what? No one is really in charge of what all those guys are doing to you collectively. Like, there's no policeman there going, do you want to just pipe down? This person's really under quite a lot of pressure right now. And certainly, it opens up this endless possibility of frustration, of us always thinking, I need more, I need more. I haven't really found myself. I, I need more to really make myself me. Now, I could go on about all of that stuff for a, for a while, uh, and I realize I already have. But I think it's worth saying, because it, it helps us understand Identity, who we are, is a really big deal. And it is an unusually big deal right now for us in our culture. So then, how do we, how do we go about working it out? How do we answer the question, who am I? Well, I want to start with you this evening, as we always should, by hearing what God has to say. And today we're going to see how our identity comes from the way that God has created us. We're going to see how God knows us. That we are who God has made us to be. We're made in his image. And in the coming weeks, just to give you a quick heads up, um, we're going to explore that further. Um, in two weeks from now, we're going to be thinking about how our identity is broken and, and compromised and confused and why we struggle to know exactly who we are. The week after that, we're going to look at the new identity that God gives those who believe in Christ. And then finally, we're going to be thinking about how that new identity shapes our lives and changes our lives as Christians. And that's by far the longest introduction you're going to get, so don't worry. Number one, God knows who you are. God knows who you are. Have a look down at Psalm 139, verse 1. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. 
Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Just have another look at those verses. How many words can you find there that are to do with knowing or discovering? Have a look down, see if you can count them. It's all about God knowing us. So the first thing to note, therefore, is that you are known. The true you is known. All your actions, all your ways, all your thoughts, wherever you are, God knows it. God knows who you are. And that is already quite a place to start, isn't it? There are times, aren't there, in life when it feels like no one else can understand what you're going through and, and your sense of identity or lack of it. Here's a bit of a personal story. I, I grew up in the UK to a German mother and uh, an English dad. We were bilingual in our home. Uh, and uh, my, our German identity played an important role, as well as our British one. But no one in my family, apart from my sister, and she was too young at this stage to, to really understand, knew what it was like to be half German and half British and eight years old at boarding school, where everyone was reading Commando, which, for those of you who weren't kind of born in, in my age, was a, was a wartime comic uh, full of uh, British people blowing up Germans and calling them not particularly kind words. And I had to watch this going on around me, and it was a bit confusing. Who was I? Was I one of the goodies, uh, or was I one of the evil Huns, as they always got called in Commando? Was there another option? Well, whether anyone else understood or not, God knows. He knows all of that. He recognizes it. God has a, but God has a singular account of me. He could tell me a story about me that makes sense and that is utterly true. Now, if you're going through a time of real confusion and no one else around you is really helping you out with that, isn't that encouraging? God knows what it is. Totally true. God knows. I was reading about the uh, British triathlete, Non Stafford, uh, this week. Uh, Stanford, sorry. And um, as a result of the, the pandemic, like, like many other sports people and others, um, her sport, tri triathlon, had been completely turned up uh, on its head. And, and she feared that it was going to be a really long time before she could race again. And she said this. She said, it's been quite weird and quite difficult. You kind of lose your sense of identity and purpose. It happens to so many of us, doesn't it? So often, we find ourselves suddenly not really knowing who we are because of circumstance. God knows. Second, you are who God made you to be. You are who God made you to be. We're going to skip a little bit further into the psalm and start reading at uh, 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. So 
if you're looking for a, a slightly less run-of-the-mill answer to the question, who are you? How about this one? I am a work of God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made work of God. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do this because you're British. But I want you to just imagine for a moment the person next to you, particularly the one that you don't know, asking the question, so who are you then? And answering confidently, with no sense of kind of false pride about it, I am a fearfully and wonderfully made work of God. If you did so, you would simply be stating the truth. You are God's handiwork, carefully observed. Every one of us intricately woven with a specific purpose, one that's mapped out, according to the psalmist, all the way to the end of your life. The the maker knows and has made you. I recently had a whole uh, load of electronics, uh, mainly all sorts of different cables uh, to charge various different devices in my home, uh, ordered, and and I got them from overseas because it was a bit bit cheaper, and, but I'd kind of forgotten about them. They always take ages to arrive. And, and so the packages came through the door, and I was looking at them. I didn't really know what it was. Uh, but invariably, you, you open the package, and there's a, there's a manufacturer's leaflet inside. And so you, I read that to find out what each one was. This is a USB-C to USB-C cable to charge your MacBook or whatever. And now I know what it is. Now, of course, that's natural. That's what I would do. I'd go to the manufacturer, the one who made it, to tell me what it is. The one who made it knows. Now, that illustration has its limitations in a world of mass-produced things. But think of handcrafted things. No one knows and understands a sculpture like the one who sculpted it. And that's what you are. Sculpted, knit together by God. And to be clear, I'm not here denying, nor is the psalm, modern understandings of reproduction. All this can be true of a bunch of cells growing in the womb according to the regular patterns of biology. Those processes belong to God, and he brings them together. All those infinite variables that we call chance to make you the particular product of your genes and your physical circumstances according to his purposes. And one more sidebar. Um, here, here, I think, is the answer to this question about whether our identity is something objective, something that exists outside of us. It does. Verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, in the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So God knew who we were before we even were. Do you get that? Before we even existed, he already had our identity clear. So that puts that, that kind of seals that one off. Yes, there is such a thing as an identity outside of us and others with God. Now, if that's the case, if we are a work of God, when it comes to grasping our identity, then he's the one we want to listen to. And we've got to say that loud and clear to ourselves again and again because we're we're in a world where we're fighting for control of the narrative of who we are. But if he made us, God's answer to that question for us, that's the one we want to hear most of all. Not that we have to suppress who who we feel we are, nor that we 
a call to ignore what everyone else says about who we are. It's just that God's words should be our starting point. That should be like the, the, the filter, the frame through which we see everything else. So let's be really practical. I wake up, I feel like a heap of junk. Or, or perhaps I hear the world tell me that at my age I've got nothing more to offer. Or perhaps I, I've watched my friends walk out on me and, and now I'm just inexplicably burdened by, by shame for just existing. But God's word on me gets the final say. I'm not going to let those things define who I am. And God says, I am his precious creation. And that's, by the way, why the scriptures matter so much. Because that's where we get the Lord speaking to us and hear him again and again. And we sung it already today. And we're going to be singing it again over the coming weeks. I love that song. I am who you say I am. If there's one thing I'd love you to take away from these four weeks, it's that. I am who you say I am. You are who God made you to be. And then finally, thirdly, you are made in God's image. So we said, I am who God made me to be. What did he make me to be? Well, it's a really big subject. and We're just going to catch a little glimpse of it today and, and put in place, I guess, the most basic idea of our, our created identity. And I'm going to hop out of Psalm 139 and go back to the uh, very beginning of the Bible, uh, Genesis 1, and uh, just read from Genesis 1, 26. Then uh, God says, Genesis 1, 26, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We may ask the question, what, what exactly did God create in our mother's wombs? Well, here we get a little bit more of that. And a little bit more on how extraordinary we actually are. We, you and I, are made in God's image. We are made in God's image. They say, don't they, that there are no atheists um, in foxholes, you know, in, in, in trenches, in wartime. I, I want to suggest that there, there aren't many atheists in the delivery suite either. Um, I have become a, a father four times. And all of them, medically speaking, were relatively uncomplicated, although his dad, I didn't have a great deal to do with the actual sort of complicated bit. Um, but every single one of those children was undeniably a miracle. When I held uh, Marina in my arms, howl, I, I howled uncontrollably. Not she didn't howl, I did. Um, and I think the reason I did is because I was utterly overwhelmed by... This new life. Now, I reckon I could probably argue with the best of them that there was just I holding a, a sack of, of molecules. But neither I, nor I think anyone else in the room at that time, whatever their faith may have been, would have found that a remotely interesting or relevant way of thinking about what was going on there. There was no one in the sack of molecules camp at that moment. And it's an extraordinary thought, isn't it? I mean, childbirth is about the most regular thing that happens. It happens four times every second, I think. But still, every time it happens, we feel we're on hallowed ground. 
Because everyone knows, even if only very instinctively, that this creature has the potential of godlike things. Here is a child. Here's, here is someone. Someone who could choose between right and wrong. Here is someone who could love or hate. Here is someone who could create or destroy. Here is someone who can understand. Here is someone who can know themselves. That is awesome. Who are you? You're an image bearer. You're like a coin that that carries the king's resemblance. Or a mirror that reflects the bright light of the sun. You display, every single one of you, you display the glory of God. Now, depending on your uh, psychological makeup, you may find that perfectly acceptable. You may find it laughable. You know, you, you, perhaps some of us here, we just right now have just such a low sense of self-esteem that we find it awfully difficult to detect in any way, even a shadow of anything divine in who we are. But here's the thing. You just are anyway. You are anyway. God's verdict on you is you are made in his image. He even took flesh on himself to help you get your head around this. Now, granted, we are, we're far from perfect image bearers. And we'll be thinking next week more about how the, the image of God is marred in us. But still, God made us in his image. And this is a wonderful thing. This is the guarantee of your absolute value. That's where the, the pressure comes off to constantly be more or, or prove that you can be someone worth being. You already are someone worth being because you're made in the image of God. And you can't undo that. And that, that's just fantastic. That is a, that's a constant. Whatever else is going on for you, that's a constant in your existence. Perhaps you've constantly reinvented yourself with varying degrees of success over your, over your life. Or, or, or perhaps you've always had the same identity, but you've always kind of slightly regretted it and wished you could be more. Perhaps you've never known who you are. And each time you ask the question, who am I, you seem to know less. Well, there you have it. There's the answer. You have been made in the image of God. We're going to be thinking considerably more about some of these things in the coming weeks. But I want to leave you with that thought. And we're going to sing now. We're going to sing the words of Psalm 139 um, in a setting that we um, have our team to thank for. But as we prepare to do us, let's, let's just take a moment of quiet and then let me lead in prayer. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Lord, we thank you that for all our confusion, whatever we understand and whatever we don't, you know us. That you knit us together in our mother's wombs, that you crafted each one of us individually, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Lord, I pray that you would come and be in the midst of us this evening, teaching us, bringing that reality home to each one of us. Lord, for each one here who is just struggling so much with any sense of personal worth, 
speak to us, encourage us, comfort us. Or for each one of us, that's finding our sense of identity somewhere else in our success or our relationships or whatever else it is. Lord, bring us back, center us again into this truth that we are made by you. And Lord, let it be your words about who we are that ring loudest and most clear in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.